Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is the one and only Rachel Anderson. She's a coach, a confidant, and a strategist. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, well, thank you. I love being here. I'm so excited. So Rachel coached me way way back. And she's just this really cool person who's obviously a descendant of unicorns. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Um, So Rachel, let's talk about you. How did you become a coach? How did I become a coach? Yeah. What led you to coaching? That's a good question. And very different than how did I become a coach? Um, what led me to coaching? That is a good question also. So here's the thing. I began my journey into coaching by uh, starting a consulting business. And as I was doing that, I had gotten really kind of burnt out on it, even though I had just started and I couldn't figure out what it was. And at the same time, I was going to uh, I was doing, I call it going to MBA school. I was finishing my MBA. In the very last class, the capstone class was entirely, your grade was entirely based on a simulation. And the simulation, the grade you got was based on how well your company did. So you were in a group with a few other people. And, um, you know, the goal was to land in the black. And as we went through week by week by week, uh, we had to cut human resources in order to stay out of the red each week more and more. And at some points it was actually like cutting the actual people. Sometimes it was cutting their perks. And each week, like I found myself dreading this class and dreading the simulation. And, um, and I couldn't like, I just, to the point where I was like bereft sometimes and my, you know, my group mates were like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't, I just cannot stand the idea of laying off more people. They're like, Rachel, it's a simulation. And I'm like, I know, but like, is this what my life is like? Is this what my, is this what I'm going to have to advise my people to do? Like, if I'm going to be a good consultant for companies that are struggling, like, is this what I have to do? And I had this awareness that I really am meant to serve people, um, in particularly individuals. And so I had that, but, and yet I really connected with the experience of consulting, you know, the, the work that I did with people. So I knew I wanted to stay doing something like that, communicating like that with people. And so I started investigating other similar methods, uh, methodologies and came across coaching. And it really spoke with me, spoke to me because it was a lot about empowering people to make their own choices. There was a lot about focusing on success and opportunities. And it didn't, I really liked the idea that people didn't have to that you never had to be at the effect of something. You could always, even if you were one of those people laid off, you know, you had choice. And so I began the journey, you know, into coaching and loved it and resonated with it from the very first weekend I went through training. And what, for our listeners, what, how would you describe the difference between consulting and coaching? Oh, that's really good. Um, So in some people would disagree with me. And there are a lot of coaches who do consulting, a lot of consultants who do coaching and a lot who do hybrids. So for me, and full disclosure, as a coach, I do some consulting. So um, for me, the difference was at that time, uh, I wanted the 
I saw coaching as an opportunity to allow me to give my clients choice and options and highlight opportunities rather than issue a prescription or a solution that may or may not be what they were looking for. I also saw coaching as more of a partnership and uh, less of a yeah, prescription. Like here's a prescription, go fill it, call me in a few weeks and let me know how, how it's going. Um, I liked the partnership piece of it. And again, you know, there's a lot of people who would say, well, yeah, I'm a consultant, but I do, you know. Right. Right. Just talking (laughs) more about the generalization of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the field of consulting. It also sounds like, um, it sounds like in your experience, consulting felt more like a fix it. Yes. Very much felt like a fix it. It very much felt like an opinion, um, an opinion of the consultant became the, the answer, the truth. It very much felt one-sided and I, I just felt a sense of loneliness. Like I felt my clients felt a sense of loneliness and I felt that, I felt bad leaving them, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So as a coach, how is it different? Well, I, I don't have to leave them, <laughs> you know, I leave them when they want me to leave <laughs> and uh, maybe that's sooner for some than others, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> okay. What was the question? I got sidetracked by my own wit. Um, I don't know. I was with you on the sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go with your own wit. Let's follow it. <laughs> um, how was, wait, what, how was it different? Yeah, I originally asked the difference between consulting and coaching, and then the you talked about the loneliness for consulting and your clients being lonely. Yeah, yes. So hopefully, as a coach, my clients feel very taken care of, and that they're very important, and um, and that their needs, their agenda is. Uh, the top priority when we work together, regardless of what's going on. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they feel that they've always got a partner and that no idea is off the table. Like there's no bad ideas, even though there are some bad ideas. <clears throat> what's a bad idea? <laughs> there are some really bad ideas. You don't want to talk about any of them? Well, we don't. How long do we have? We don't have enough time. Okay. okay. We'll get away from the bad ideas. Um, okay. So you started, you moved away from consulting and into coaching. Yeah. And did you coach corporations? Who did you coach at first? Yeah. So it, when I began the coach training, I really, you know, obviously already had a group of of people in my network, you know, people who I was working with. And those were primarily small to medium-sized businesses who I was acting as their consultant for. So I tried to uh, work coaching into that. And that worked. And it was really nice because it did provide a source of income. But I did know that long-term working with corporations was not my ideal. So I began to work with different groups of people. And what really ended up landing for me after about nine months of trying different uh, people was working with brides, interestingly enough. So I spent some time doing that. Tell us about that, please. Yeah. So um, I, um, my passion for working with brides for sure was born out of my own trauma as a bride. Uh, For sure. My wedding day was like the worst day of my life. And you should know in saying that, that I have spent time in jail. So when I say it's the worst day of my life. Can we talk about that? (laughs) (laughs) So when I say it was the worst day of my life, know that that includes the day I spent in jail. Okay, we'll get back. We'll we'll get back to coaching brides. What were you doing in jail? I didn't know this about you. There were some shenanigans that Mm -hmm. I was involved with a few other people in creating some documents that were used in furtherance of 
other things. How long were you in jail? Overnight. It was very traumatic. Actually, yeah. it was. But I'm, I'm okay now. Okay. All right. Okay, so you went to jail. And but I do have some coaching. cred. I do have some street cred. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you went to jail, and then you started coaching brides. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to bride coaching. So um, it really, my wedding was traumatic, and I didn't really know why until I was, I had, I had completed my coach training. I was a bridesmaid for one of my friends and there was a lot of similar challenges that my friend was having. And she was having a lot of like the same, Oh, I just want to elope. I hate this. I'm feeling miserable. And you're just kind of always angry and frustrated. And I could totally resonate with what she was experiencing because I found myself experiencing that a lot when I was a bride. And so I said, man, I wish I had the skill set that I do now as a coach. I wish I had had that back then. And I'm like, Oh, okay, <laughs> there we go. So let's try this out. So um, I took on uh, five brides, tried it out, uh, offered them three free months of coaching, three free, did I say that right? Free, no. three, yes, I did or no, I didn't. You did, three okay. free, three, three free. Three free, whatever, months of coaching to try it out to see if I liked it and I loved it. And they got a lot out of it. And from there, it just exploded. I do not, I don't know now because it's, it's not my, um, my place of business right now, but back then no one was doing that. <clears throat> so I think it was a relatively unique uh, market share that I had. And so it just exploded and I loved it. It was awesome. And I did that for about four, four years, I believe. What were some of the, did you see themes? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same things that we have really across life. But my firm belief is that when you're going through that wedding planning process, everything that goes on, then it's simply a microcosm for what's going on in your life but you're basically on stage under a spotlight. So everything is heightened. The stakes are higher. Um, there's money and people and there's attention and focus and, you know, all of, you know, all like this energy and emotion and all of this stuff is just propelling, you know? So when you're, you know, if you're my, my thought, my feeling was, and what I found was if, if people are struggling with, sticking up for themselves with a vendor, you know, uh, or uh, a relative, you know, a stepmom or a mother or mother-in-law, you know, the chances are that they're having that same challenge in other parts of their life, but it's just kind of diluted because they only have that problem once a month or only at holidays. So it's kind of like they are tolerated for that period of time and move on. But now, now the stakes are bigger. Now when mom says, well, I want you to buy this wedding gown and this is your wedding gown. Now it's a big deal. So how you react and communicate um, in those situations is exactly the way you would in others, but now it's heightened and more important. So communication would be one of the things that uh, can routinely came out to-do lists. I mean, people, you know, task accomplishments, um, time management, you know, things that come along that way. Uh, you know, even including like perfectionism and procrastination, those things started to really show up. Um, I would say, <clears throat> um, tolerating things like knowing it was, it was interesting to see where people were willing to tolerate and where they weren't. Um, where people, how quickly people lost, lost it when they lost control of a situation. So how much of control played a role in their lives. So these were probably some of the most common things that showed up. And then of course, people's relationship to money. I mean, obviously. 
Have you kept in touch with the brides that you coached? Yeah, many of them. Mm -hmm. So I am imagining it would be like, yeah, you coached them around their wedding, Mm -hmm. but I imagine it changed their life going forward. Yeah. Well that, I mean, that was my, that was my pitch. I mean, that was what I, uh, in the end, as I got busier and had more people wanting the services, I had a increased waiting list. So uh, I was able to increase my prices. And so at some point you have to justify why you're charging, you know, X amount of dollars for the service when they could pay less to go hire a wedding planner or something. So uh, for me, the one of the key leverage points was the fact that, hey, you know, yep, I, I'm going to help you work through these situations right now as you're navigating this wedding planning process, but that's also going to help you with every single other similar situation that you're going to deal with in life forever. So if you're procrastinating on picking out your invitations or you're second guessing that, you know, 16 times, we're going to solve that now. And we're going to look at how we can avoid like second guessing everything for the rest of your life. So we're going to stop the second guessing, you know. That is powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, your wedding becomes, I mean, supposedly it already is this moment where you become, mm-hmm. like officially become a couple, but mm-hmm. it becomes so much more like stepping into yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Okay, cool. So you did that for a while. I did. And now you don't. Now I don't. There's just a certain amount of napkin dilemmas that you can... <laughs> You can navigate until you're like, okay, I need a break. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is your mission now? My mission for napkin dilemmas. Do you have one? <laughs> <laughs> Not specifically for napkin. Oh, okay. So my, I know my divine purpose and I know that it is directly related to helping people find their own divine purpose and uncover their own uniqueness and celebrate that because I think in today's culture and we're getting there, you know, we we're getting to a place where we are really encouraging that and celebrating that more, but we're not quite there yet. And there's a lot of people who are walking around, not really sure why they're here and what they're supposed to be doing. And, I attribute a lot of the chaos and the drama that goes on these days to that because I I personally feel that if people were really living on purpose and they were living their purpose, they would be paying a whole lot less attention to things that didn't have anything to do with their purpose. And so I know that part of mine, my purpose is to help people figure theirs out and also uh, to really get clear about who they are, what makes them unique and figure out a way to routinely celebrate that. I love it. I think you're, I I agree with those things. I think you do those very well. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, I think it's that, I mean, I do, I'm grateful for that because I think that people who have a mission and they don't embody it or live it and people would be like, Oh, that's interesting and wouldn't identify that with the person that would make me question whether that person authentically is connected to their mission. Yeah. In every interaction I've had with you, every place I've ever seen you show up, you are you. (laughs) I've never seen you put on a mask. Well, that's good. And it's taken a lot of work. Really? So oh yeah. What, what kind of masks did you used to put on? Oh, and whoever, whatever mask someone wanted me to wear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how did you yeah. quit that habit? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I ever, I never was comfortable with it. And so I don't know if I was ever successful. You know, I, if we're going to go with the mask analogy. It was like I was always had the mask on, but like sitting on the top of my head or like (laughs) Like you weren't doing it right. Hanging off my ears or something (laughs) like that. Because I just, I don't think I ever did it right. 
And so I got a lot of like, oh, that's just Rachel being Rachel or whatever, which I took over time to be, to mean that there was something wrong with me, um, that there's something wrong with truly being me and saying the things that Rachel would say. And um, so it took, <clears throat> it, it really took a lot of years, <clears throat> excuse me, to get to the point where I embraced all of Rachel, even the quote, crappy parts, unquote. And it's not that I don't continue to refine. We all have our, am I allowed to swear? Oh yeah, please do. Okay. So we all have our shit, right? So mm -hmm. there's, there's stuff I continue to refine, but if I don't own that, if I don't own that shit that I can't really work on it and um, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with who I am, even when I have my shit, you know? And so I, for men, a lot of time during my childhood and young adulthood, I felt that it was, in, I was given many messages that um, it was important to show up in a way that was appropriate. I remember I loved my, now listen, here's the other piece of it that I need to offer as a disclaimer. My parents were both like very much about celebrating my individuality and in general in my family I definitely got a lot of messages around mixed messages around being okay it being okay to be myself but my parents themselves did a lot about you know just Rachel's so unique and very different and whatever but my grandma used to say Oh, what will the neighbors think? <laughs> and oh. so it's like this, this thing I've always carried and I can picture her. She would stand at the front of her house with the draperies pulled, watching what the other neighbors were doing. And I'm sure they all were doing that. But so I, I walked around with that for a long time. What will the neighbors think? Oh, so I walked around with that a lot. I no longer care what the neighbors think. Okay, good. And I invite that them to be very freeing. I do. And I invite them to come hang out in my house. And so they know they're not thinking anymore. Right. Knowing. Totally. We can have a chat about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember a moment when you decided to like put that, what will the neighbors think? Put it away, put it aside. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then I was an idiot and um, went back and then I became wise again. <laughs> That's how, how it works. <laughs> yes. It was, um, trying to think about it. You know, I think it was shortly after I turned 30. It was about the same time that I embraced my curly hair. For years, I had been straightening my hair and I just, the curls drove me crazy. I just, I, I couldn't, I would straighten my hair. I'd like do the long, the, I had the Rachel look for a long time. The Jennifer Anderson, Jen, Jennifer, oh, Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Anderson, you know, Rachel look. So it was like straight with the little flip at the bottom for a long time. And finally I'm like, fuck it. This is just who I am. I have curls. I might as well do it. So it was about that time. So I think in my early thirties and it was just entirely about this. This is who I am. You know, I'm not going to apologize anymore. And there became this, all of a sudden I became free to do things and to make choices. And actually, you know, it was right around the time I started um, uh, my coaching, my coach journey. So I, no doubt, I'm sure it was connected to that um, a bit. But, uh, and then a couple of years ago, I put it aside and I, um, I wanted to, I was working on a project and I wanted to, really do a good job and found that I had to set aside the individuality and the uniqueness to be part of, um, part of an initiative. And that just, you know, really it ended up having a lot of toxic, um, effects on my body. And so I think that that was one of the signs that was like, Oh, this is not good for me. <laughs> you know, this is not working. Um, so I realized that and then I'm like, Oh, Rachel, you idiot you already know this. What, what is wrong with you? So, so interesting. I gave myself a unicorn bitch slap mm -hmm. as you would call it that and what I would call it. walked away. And then I Congratulations. have, yes, re-embraced my Rachelness. 
I am I am a raving fan of Rachel. And I think it's so interesting how you bring up the curly hair piece. Mm-hmm. That I remember that too. When I was oh, yeah. a kid, I used to I remember asking my mom, Can I get a perm? And she was mm-hmm. like, You have curly hair. <laughs> I do. Except that I would have her like a French braid my hair. My hair uh-huh. was so thick that blow drying it would take hours yeah i don't you're right exactly yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i i still find it unruly and hot yeah there's right. a lot of it right but yeah Same situation yeah. embracing the curls it's so it it makes me wonder that's just our hair mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. other things absolutely do we try and what other ways mm-hmm. are we trying to fit in that is completely subconscious I remember being really traumatized one time I there was a family situation where I heard from through the grapevine that my uncle had said, Oh, that was just Rachel being Rachel. And I'm like, immediately I felt really crappy, like, oh, oh no, what did I do? Or oh, what about that is bad? And so I carried that for a while too. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, something inherently is wrong with that. Like if that's just me being me and there was something wrong with that, that, Oh, I don't need that. Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't, that's no. So do you ever use that phrase now? Rachel being Rachel? Yes. But now I use it with glee. Fabulous. Or Elan. Is that the way you say oh. that word? I might be Alan. Alan. I'm not entirely sure though. Maybe we can get some feedback from listeners. That's right. Please tell us how to pronounce that (laughs) word. Um, Okay. Wait, I'm totally. I I feel like I keep taking you in on rabbit trails. That's what this is. Okay. That's what we're just chasing bunnies. Okay. All right. I want to make sure that we're focused. Yeah, on whatever yeah. you'd like us to be focused oh, on. We're on a wild bunny chase. Which, awesome. So side note, there are tons of bunnies in our new neighborhood. And that is what we do. <laughs> Dogs. <laughs> Makai and I, when we, go, when we go exploring in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yep. I try yes. to hide him from bunnies. Mm-hmm. He tries to find all the bunnies. And his yep. memory is fabulous. He remembers, mm-hmm. like, I saw a bunny around this corner last time. So oh, let's go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We have a very similar situation. <clears throat> With bunnies? Oh, yes. And labs who remember exactly where the bunnies are, and they have superb noses. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So we are all on bunny chases. Okay. So let's, let's go down a different bunny hole, just you and Awesome. You and me. Um, about, I want to go, I want to go to what you're doing now. What are you excited mm-hmm. about right now? Mm-hmm. Oh man, um, I'm excited about a lot in life, but I choose one thing. Keep, like, okay. Bring wow. Okay. So <clears throat> here's what I'm doing in my business that I'm really excited about. So I have been working on really putting a finger on what it is that I love doing, and it's been about a year long journey of exploring and sitting with it. Uh, doing some research, writing, prayer, uh, talking to some of my ideal clients that I've been currently working with. And I realized that I have this unique set of abilities that I can't put into one descriptor. Uh, Because what I do is more than just coaching. I have experience and education. And on top of that, you know, I've got like just some cool like gifts, you know, that, uh, you know, are energetic gifts and some emotional gifts. And I just, I haven't been able to put a, a finger, a thumb. What is the word? A finger? Finger. Finger. I haven't been able to put a finger. But why does it have to be just a finger? It could also I be a thumb. Put a hand. I haven't been able to identify it <laughs> until recently. And so 
I also haven't been able to identify what exactly I really want to do. And so I have, and this is what it's, I think what the next phase is, and it's of course just the next phase on the journey. And I know that there's going to be more after that, but uh, I really know that my skill set comes from the combination of being a coach, a confidant, and a strategist. Meaning, I ha- I can listen really well to a conversation. I can understand the energy of what's going on. I can understand what's being said, even when it's not being said. Um, I have the wisdom and discernment to understand the totality of the circumstances, what it means <coughs> holistically, what the whole scheme of the challenge or situation is, as well as what is the perhaps the best direction at this time. I have the experience of putting together a plan or a strategy. um, And I have the fun and the wisdom to put together a, um, a fun form of action and accountability. And so what I've decided to do is create a new offering for my ideal client. Uh, And that is to put together four month packages where um, the first month my client will work with me in kind of an unlimited fashion, which is kind of a strange way of doing things. And I don't even know exactly what this looks like, but like full access to Rachel. I don't know what that means. You know, maybe that means the person's going to come hang out at my house. I don't know if that means, I don't know if that means we're on like Zoom or Skype. I don't know if that means we do a lot of boxing and phone calls, but I really want to know my person. I want to know what's going on in their life and everything, not just I don't want, I don't want to just know their business stuff. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what their challenges are. I want to know what the background is. I want to know what is happening. And what I find is a lot of my clients are, use me as kind of like their best friend, you know, as well as they talk to me, even when I'm hired to work with them on a business issue, I'm routinely helping them navigate a relationship problem or a kid issue or, you know, how to deal with their mom on a situation. And so I know that that's an element that, and I know it matters because if if they're having this crisis with their ex or, you know, their their child, there's no way they can focus on accomplishing, knocking out their business thing. So I'm going to spend this month, there's going to be like a whole lot of Rachel and this person, you know, and we're going to figure out where, where does this person want to be? Let's just call it Sally. Where does Sally want to be? You know, what come retirement age, like where does she want to be? And, you know, what does that look like? What, what is it, what's the relationships look like? What is, where's she living? What, you know, what are her, what's her economic situation? I mean, like, what does that look like? And then what does it look like now? And what needs to happen between now and then to get there? And that's what we're going to do is we're going to put together what I like to call a new life approach, because it's not just about a plan of what goes on there. It's about like, how do we approach these next 15, 20, whatever years. Um, So we're going to put together approach and then knock it down, chunk it down into, okay, what does that mean for the next three years? And what does it mean for the next four months? And then I'm going to hang around with this person and I'm going to be their go-to gal, their BFF, where they have no obligations to be the other side of the BFF for the next three months. And we're going to like start knocking that plan off because for me, a plan without action is just a wish. So feels so authentic to you. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of babble. I apologize. No, it's, it's quite all right. I, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And so, I remember I hired you to help me with my business and I got pneumonia. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry and, I gave that. And yeah, I know it was horrible. <laughs> I seriously, you helped me so much. I helped you get that. pneumonia. <laughs> no, you helped me get through it. You may have also helped me get it. 
<laughs> I do remember that. That was that was unfortunate. I'm so yeah. sorry. And also, just for other people out there, some people apparently have pneumonia for like a week. I did not have it for a week. I had it for eight weeks. Yeah, it was a doozy. Yeah, I. And that was when you, I remember you telling me, some people told you it was like a week. And I'm like, when I would get it, it was like 12 weeks. It was like three months. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you coached me around that. And yeah, if we had stuck to an agenda around my business, especially when I was like, really had pneumonia, I would have been like, I don't, nothing, no plan is going into action right now. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, that's the thing. I I have a client right now who hired me to help her get some business stuff off the ground. And all of a sudden she's in the midst of a divorce. I mean, how do you, she had no idea that was coming and well, she suspected, but I don't think she had any idea. This is the time frame. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, so we just talked like, great. Well, how can I, she best use me right now. And it, you know, she was just like, Oh, I'm just going to give up on my business. And Okay, you know that that's that's a real like possibility. Divorce is tough. It's difficult. It's really crappy, and so that's a fair reaction. And what if we were able to like do one thing a week? You know, what would that look like? How would that feel if every week you were able to say, "Yeah, I did one thing." You know, so and in the meantime, I'll help you with the other stuff. I've helped dozens of people through their divorces and and that's where it comes that you know like I have these crazy like set of unique experiences in education so it feels like you use your your uniqueness and your journey as being Mm -hmm. a unique individual Mm -hmm. to help other people's uniqueness shine but also hold space for them and to be totally adaptable right yes you know, Marie Forleo has this, she once used this phrase in one of her little Marie TV, relentlessly flexible. Mm. And for me, it's very similar to being dynamic. It's the ability to have a plan or strategy or approach or intention and stick with that and yet be willing to adjust change, pivot, you know, reverse, whatever that is, adjust to what adapt to whatever the situation is without, you know, giving up on a dream or whatever. And I think that the key to that is really truly being oneself. And if you can truly understand who you are and embrace your values and know that, hey, you know, Rachel is X, Y, Z in whatever situation, then it's not shocking. It's something that can be relied upon. Um, It's something, it's a known, you know, Um, I know I'm an advocate. I know I'm fun. I know, you know, that I integrity, you know, has, is a top value. So I know all these things, no matter what situation I'm put in, I can count on myself to be those things And so it helps, you know, when we are in different, especially unexpected situations. So that's one of the things I enjoy helping others with, whether they're my clients or not, is what, you know, what are you, you know, and how can you embody that regardless of what's served up to you? I love that you said you can count on yourself. I feel like that is actually something that a lot of people struggle with, Mm -hmm. just that being able to trust themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, when we're shifting, when we're putting on various masks for various people, I think it's easy to get confused of like, who am I? Right. What Absolutely. do I desire? Right. How do I want to show up? What are my values? Absolutely. Which makes sense when you're putting on a mask, you, and you know, you're actually, you're playing another part, you know? Yeah. I've never been method acting, you know, <laughs> like how, who, who am I? I wasn't, I, I never had that skill. I don't know if I was wearing the mask awkwardly like you, or I was more just like not wearing the mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm, fuck this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to wear the mask. Yep. Absolutely. I was just having a temper tantrum in the corner. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sure there were times I was doing that, but I also felt there was a big piece of me that always that had a like felt responsibility to be something other than the one having a tantrum in the corner. And I, in hindsight, I think I wish I had had the tantrum in the corner. So who are you now, now that you stand in your truth? Who is Rachel? That's a big question. That's a big question. And I'm sorry for for Mm -hmm. planting that on you. No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, So I am definitely fun. I am autonomy for sure. Um, I'm love. Um, I am wisdom, definitely. Um, service. Uh, I'd say there's a lot of, I am an empath. And I think that that is different than having empathy. But I also believe that I have a lot of empathy. Can you explain the difference? Yeah. So I, as an empath, I believe I have um, direct connection to um, another realm of sensitivity, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does. It does um, to me because I'm also yeah. an empath. <laughs> so um, I believe that I have a higher, a heightened ability to know things without knowing, um, to and to just know them as fact and not and not guess it like to not be like hmm I'm kind of feeling like xyz I just know when I meet someone I just know oh this is an energy that I'm going to walk away from (laughs) or you know oh I know this is not the right decision for me I don't know why I have no evidence to support it I have nothing to give you I just know it's not the right decision um I remember when I was in eighth grade I would was eating lunch and um, all of a sudden I got really sick to my stomach. I don't know where, really sick to my stomach, nauseous, couldn't finish it. Um, you know, and uh, the, you know, I, the, they were like, do you want to go home? And I'm like, no, but I just don't feel good. And actually going home feels unsafe. Like I started to feel like panicky and I'm like, let me just sit here. Let me just sit here. Now my home was always a very loving home. So, I mean, I w- it was just a really weird. Um, and so Later that day, you know, my mom picked us up from school. We went home and we found our house had been burglarized at the exact same time as I was nauseous and wanting to not eat and knowing that home was not safe. There's nothing to, and we we know later because a neighbor saw a foreign vehicle there at that time. So we knew exactly the time frame in which it was happening is so bizarre, right? So that's like, I have that ability. So not only am I, am, am I empath, but I also believe I have a lot of empathy. Um, and I think that comes from being an empath, but also from just having a lot of experiences that have been difficult and knowing that sometimes life really does suck. and. Uh, you know, there's still, and still, you know? So I don't know if that answered your question. It does. It does. I want to get back to Mm -hmm. who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you want to keep going with your list? I could go on forever. Please enlighten us. No, no, no. no. (laughs) I mean, I think that those are probably my, my strongest ones right now. I mean, I would say that that, I think they are always evolving in terms of what are my top values, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What would you have like 10 or 15 years ago say about that awesome list that you just shared? Hmm. Hmm. For sure, fun would be on there. I think I've always known that not only do I enjoy fun, but I am funny. So I think that would, I don't think I, I think I also always have known that I had a wisdom, but I think I probably would have described it as intelligence or intellect, which I know I have that skill. What's the difference? Well, for me, a a wisdom is, uh, is kind of a deep inner knowing you know, in light of a certain situation, um, like given a set of circumstances, like you just kind of have the 
wisdom. And some of it's a life experience thing where you just kind of like, okay, all right, you know, I got this now that I know everything and I am aware. I've always been a bit of an old soul in that way, but I think I would not have recognized it as that. I would have just described it as um, intelligence or intellection. And I, I mean, I know that I do have those skills as well, but I don't think I had the words to describe it. Um, I probably would have had a hard time answering this question years ago. Why I think, do you think I probably, that? well, I think I don't know if I really thought it was okay to answer that question or to know myself. I think I probably would have had to ask a few people. Mm. And what do you think they would have said? Mm. Probably a lot of what I just said, but. Um, Yeah. But I think I just didn't feel permitted to, and, and, and that's my own stuff. It's not anybody else's fault. Um, yeah. It's your own stuff that mm-hmm. you had in the past. Okay. I had in the past. A lot mm-hmm. of us. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's a really good question. I haven't really thought about it. I'm trying to think back. Let me think like 10, 15 years ago, if I had yeah, for sure. I know, I, I know that I have the gift of something, you know, brainiac. I know that I, I know I would have identified as that and fun. Um, I know that uh, I would have also, I've always been really good at helping people. So whether I would have identified that as service or as just someone, you know, I don't think as I was realizing that one of my gifts is one of my purposes is helping people uncover and appreciate, celebrate their uniqueness. I looked back to where, when did I start doing that? And man, that was from childhood. I remember throwing my, my brother, his golden birthday party at 11. So he was 11. So I was 15. Like, why is it called golden? So it was like, uh, he turned 11 on the 11th. So yeah. So like, I remember like going back you know, my, my parents didn't think to do it like, and I did. And I will, I went and like, did all got all the party decorations that were like his thing, what he liked, his colors. So like going back all the way until, and even earlier than that, I would do, I was making like doing dinner parties, including like food that people like, you know, specifically people liked. And I would always buy like the perfect gift at the craft fair when I was eight, you know, at the school. So like going back all the way back then, I was always very attuned to knowing people and knowing they're appreciating their individual desires and needs and individuality. So isn't that interesting? Like sometimes it just gets so foggy in life, gets covered until you just like dig down and uncover it. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think when we go back, like, as far as we can remember yeah, to, like, itty-bitty Rachel, we'd probably see mm-hmm. that you, you were exactly how you are now. Right. Yep. Absolutely. My mom told me. <laughs> my mom told me when I was four. It was from preschool. So we lived three or four blocks from the preschool where the church where I went to preschool. And I guess on like the third week of school, I, um, she picked me up and I got in the car and I said to her, when are you ever going to let me walk home from school? (laughs) Like, mom's like I don't even know where that came from no one else walked home from school even back then you know back in like 81 you know where like you know there was a lot more free-for-all than there is now it's like you know you need special credentials to pick up children now but you know even back then like there was no four-year-olds walking home from school you know like but like just she's like where did this come from and so she ended up working out an arrangement with my teacher where my teacher would walk me to the end of the parking lot and my mom would walk to the end of the street so I got to walk one street you know by myself in their vision it probably ended up being like 500 feet but you know like that going back to four like that and that is how I function now like when is this ever gonna 
when am I going to do this? And it's like, oh, I'll just go do this now. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. That is, and you mentioned autonomy mm-hmm. as one of your things. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that is adorable. I love the bossy tone with it too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, apparently I was very much, and I was very curious. I asked the refrigerator repairman at age three, if he spun marbles on his head. <laughs> and what did he say? He didn't know what to say. And my mom's like, I don't know where she came up with that. I don't, she doesn't watch TV. Like, I don't know where this came from. I don't. So was I, was I was very curious and very bold back then. Yeah. I didn't have the boldness. I had the curiosity. Yeah, I can see that. I drove my parents crazy asking questions. Lots of questions. Lots of questions. They eventually bought me a book called, I think it was called What? <laughs> <laughs> and then there may have been a sequel, Why? <laughs> yes, exactly. I can see that. And now look, I get to ask questions. That's my job. Yeah, who's going to interview you for your podcast? I don't know. You want to do it? Mm-hmm. Okay, that'd be yeah, fun. For sure. We'll do it. Absolutely. I might have a series of people interview me. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about starting a TV show called All About Rachel. Mm-hmm. And what I would do is it would be similar to Ellen or Oprah, but people would come on the show to talk about me. <laughs> I love it. Can I come on? Yes. So instead of talking about like their various new endeavors or movies or books or clothing lines, they would just come talk about me. I think it's going to be a hit. You've been working for years to create raving fans of Rachel. Mm -hmm. And I think you have, you have enough for viewership. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I think it's going to be a hit. Mm -hmm. All about Rachel. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Check your local listings. Exactly. Check <laughs> Coming this fall. Yes. That'd be great. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Where else should we go? Where else should we take this? Ooh, man, I feel like we've talked a lot about me. Um, I have a, actually, I definitely have one question I want to know. Okay. Let's hear it. Scary stuff. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? gotten married what made that scary um well independence and autonomy is and i think at that time you know freedom was very important to me i later understood it to be autonomy and not freedom and autonomy and not independence but at that time it felt very um restricting. And like I was somehow bound to something that I didn't want to. And I wanted to be, I loved my husband and I still do. Um, I feel like I also had spent so much time working in law firms that I saw the crappy side of, um, you know, marriages. I saw the, the divorce and the ickiness of it. So I think I was a little bit fearful that I would end up in that situation. Um, I think I feared I might lose some identity. Um, and even though I couldn't have pinpointed it back then, I knew that identity was important to me. I also never wanted to be in a situation where I depended on something or someone and then have it gone. So for a lot of reasons, I was afraid and uh, did it and don't regret it. Not one bit. How long have you guys been married? 14 years. Yep. 14. We've been together 17, 17, 2011. Is that right? Can't do math. 2011 to 2018 would be seven. Yeah. No. Sorry, 2001. <laughs> That's 17. <laughs> so, yeah. So that. And then I'm trying to think if there was 
something else. I would say other another scary thing. I don't know if it's you know, sometimes I would say like asking to be communicated with or treated the way you want to be treated or communicated with is also really scary. Yeah. Do you find that? Absolutely. It de- and it depends on it depends a little bit on who the conversation is with. Yeah. Because my conver- my husband and I are really open about sure. that. Mm-hmm. But with other people, yeah, cuz it's just not a normal topic of conversation. Yeah. People don't talk about that. Yep. Yeah. I found that to be an something I've had to navigate with friends and family. And how do you like to be communicated with? That's a good question. And really pretty simple. Like I'm very, very real and authentic. And I would rather hear that you're really angry and pissed off. And I'd rather hear the swear words and how angry I've made you. I'd rather hear you call me names than I than hear from so-and-so from who heard it from so-and-so who heard it from so-and-so just be real because you know a lot of times those so-and-so things like there's lots of misinterpretations and you know misunderstandings and things aren't relayed accurately so I for me directness and realness authentically I often often how much what uh, how do you want to be communicated with uh, authentically? I'm trying to properly answer the question. I think you got it. As you know, grammar is very important to me. So, um, so yeah, real, really, authentically, yeah. And I'm trying to think. Like, I don't even care about the respectfully. Like, that doesn't even bother me. Like, if someone can speak to me disrespectfully. It doesn't bother me. I'd rather them just be talking to me about it mm-hmm. how about you that makes sense yeah if you're pissed be pissed I do not do well with passive aggressive or like mm-hmm. beating around the bush no just mm-hmm. t- tell me yeah for sure yeah and there are people in this world that like there are people that will love me and there are people who are gonna be like I know that I'm kind of magnetic mm-hmm. you'll either be attracted to me or repelled by me mm-hmm of course, I want everybody to love me, right? but it just doesn't work that way. And that's the price of being authentic. That is true. That is true. And sometimes you'll get the gift of meeting people who are so not your people. Mm-hmm. I had that experience at a campground as we were traveling last year. Oh, yeah. I met this woman and I think I had just come back from a workout uh-huh. and I was walking around. And so somehow she started telling me how exercise was horrible. <laughs> and exercise was just going to give me arthritis and it's just a horrible thing to do and then she asked me what I did for work because we constantly were asked if we were retired oh my god because how could we be living in a camper and I'm like no I just work I'm self-employed mm-hmm. and uh then I said I was a confidence coach mm-hmm. and she went on to tell me how that was a load of bullshit and she would never never use a confidence coach or a life coach or anything like that. And it was, I mean, frankly, I found the whole conversation hilarious because I was fascinating. You are not my person. Thank you for making it so clear. It's fascinating that people like say that. Yeah. Like it doesn't surprise me. A lot of people would think that you know yeah exactly like for someone to say that i mean I, I i respect it but it is like wow okay yeah what prompts somebody to actually say that out loud mm-hmm. to the person who has just told you that they're you know, and i was just like thank you i absolutely love what i do and i change people's <laughs> lives <laughs> i also love exercise mm-hmm. exactly so far, I, do so I do not I, and that's I, okay i do I know. And I know that you love me even though. I do. And I know that, what? Wait, what? I love you. And you love me even though I don't like it. And I love you. What? Something like that. We love each other. Is that going to be edited out? 
Não. <laughs> All of this is doing it for sure. Your people are going to be like, wow. They're all going to flock to you because you are fabulous, <laughs> my friend. Because I'm so incredibly articulate. You are. Okay. I think that's scary. I think asking to be treated and communicated with the way you want to be is scary. I, I'm with you. I think that's the first. I've never heard anyone answer that. And I, I, I think that's really insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, as you shared the story that your mom shared about little Rachel, yes. it made me really curious because I can so picture you as a three or four year old. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, a teacher, mm-hmm. a teacher. And then I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I wanted, I didn't know. How much do you feel like those dreams came true? Well, I kind of am both in yeah. a way. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I do anyway. I mean, that's, I mean, I teach and what I do. And, um, and even when I don't actually teach material, I'm still, I mean, we're all each other's teachers in a way. And uh, as far as, you know, lawyer, I mean, yes, I do not practice law, but I, I did go to law school and I, I'm a pretty good lawyer, probably better than a lot of lawyers who are out there. <laughs> but, you know, I think for me, like the, um, the be able to, being able to think through um, things from a, um, a perspective, a linear perspective and comparing things to a code uh, is really helpful. And that's really what lawyers do is they compare, you know, behavior and actions and such to a code of various things, you know, whether it's conduct or law. So I think I do that anyway. And I'm glad I'm not actually a lawyer. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it as comparing against a code. And yeah. Was that like the most boring answer to that question? No, I've never asked anyone else. Oh, okay. I just really had this strong vision of you as a little girl being very Mm -hmm. like determined. Mm -hmm. So I figured you probably would have had some strong opinions about what you wanted to be when you grew up. I have a violin story. Have I told you the violin story? No, please share the violin story. It has something to do with what I wanted to do with. So I um, wanted to play the violin and my mom and dad had a rule in the house, which was a very good rule that in order to play another instrument, you had to play the piano. You had to know the basics first. So I worked really hard to play the piano and uh, did that for a couple of years, mastered it, played the violin. I was, my violin teacher was the orchestra director for the school that I went to. And she was classically trained Chicago Symphony Orchestra, first chair. I mean, very, very proficient and um, very skilled, very classical. And I apparently played relatively irreverently and really enjoyed certain types of music and not others. So when I was given different pieces, I would play the ones I enjoyed, which tend to be, well, now as I look back, they're definitely more like of the Celtic music, the ones that are more like fast and, you know, uh, such. And um, she, I remember her saying, you know, Rachel, if you, cause every violin student's goal in her mind was to play first chair in the school orchestra. And so she said, Rachel, you know, if you don't learn to play all these pieces, you'll never be able to play first chair, maybe not even in the orchestra at all. And I was just like, oh, that's okay. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, oh, my goal is not to play in the orchestra. I want to play the fiddle on on the stage at the Grand Old Opry. (laughs) That was my last session with her. (laughs) Oh, really? Yep. Did you ever get on the stage at the Grand Old Opry? So I did. And um, 10 years after that, I played on the stage at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. (laughs) Take that. Was she there? No, she was not. I wanted to send her an invite, though. (laughs) 
So it's interesting because I did, <laughs> I did demand <laughs> that, but I did have to find a new teacher. I remember my mom relaying the story to me when she got home. I'm, and I, I think they were trying to be disappointed in me, but also just finding it completely humorous. Yeah. Like just, this is Rachel, you know? So another example of Rachel being Rachel. Yeah. Which is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's wrap this baby up. Oh my God. Yes. We've way exceeded the time. It's been so fun. <laughs> so how can people learn more about you? Uh, sure. They can come to my site at rachelanderson.com. And because Rachel is unique, it is a unique spelling, which is R-A-E-C-H-E-L Anderson, spelled the correct way, S-O-N, rachelanderson.com. Thank you. Anything else? Are you on social media? Um, I am on social media. My Facebook uh, profile is Rachel Anderson Dressler. And I think I'm on Instagram. Well, I definitely am on Instagram. I think my profile name is Rachel.Anderson. Okay. I'll check it before I put check it in the show notes. Yeah. So this has been fun. I'm really glad to have spent the time with you more than even having been on a podcast, truly, because I'm not even sure I know what podcasts are, but I am really (laughs) glad to have spent the hour with you. I thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your wonderful self, your brilliance, your sparkle, your laugh, your snort. It's been amazing. (laughs) Yes. There've been a few snorts here. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.